Podcast, the official podcast of United League Baseball, purveyors of fine fake baseball since 2003. We're here today with the 1983 season preview edition, and joining us, uh, Peter Bays, GM of the Los Angeles Outlaws. Hello, Peter. Good evening. And as usual, Glenn Reed, GM of the St. Louis Maroons and the Ratingsmeister. Yo, yo, yo. So, rating Meister, I don't know. That's not, is that good? I don't know. I guess we'll uh, find out. Well, it's your claim to fame, you know, one way or the other. So. <laughs> all right, all right. So you should, embrace, right. You should embrace it. Uh, okay, for, embrace the chaos. All right. For, for good and you. Heading into the 1983 season, the sense around the league is that other than a couple of powerhouse teams and, and a couple of weaklings, the league is pretty wide open in that middle 10. Uh, so um, it will, I'm sure we'll talk about that as we go along. But uh, so we're going to start in the east and we're going to work from the bottom to the top. So five GMs have submitted their predicted finishes. So what I've done is I've averaged those five to come up with our consensus or aggregate ratings. I'm not looking at anything of what the game has has projected, although we might look at that as we go along. So we're going to start in the East and the number seven team in the, in the East, almost unanimously, uh, four out of five picked the Washington Monuments to come in dead last. So we'll talk about the Monuments first. And as we've done in the past, I thought we would start with, um, with Glenn discussing uh, the, the, his ratings analysis of each team. And we kind of talk about strengths and weaknesses, where we think they're going, maybe touch on how they did in FA in the draft and things like that. So how about it, Glenn? Tell us about Washington and why is Washington slated to finish last in the East? Yeah, so I did the usual ratings count. I did it slightly different this time, but no, no matter which version of the count or, or what weighting methodology I used, Washington always ended up at the bottom. And for what it's worth, Detroit always ended up at the top. So like the one and seven in the East, there was, like, there was no way I, I could not, you know, or I could uh, – get a different outcome. So the reality is Washington has by far the lowest pitching ratings. And that means lowest starters, lowest relievers, lowest top end pitchers, and therefore the lowest total, you know, his lineup actually isn't bad. I mean, any lineup that has <laughs> Wade Boggs, he drafted Andy Vance like, and then you add Baines Barfield, and, you know, he called up this Pat Tabler guy who has no power for a first baseman, but he's a 14 ODP and that's quite good. So, so he's actually, I'm pretty confident that he's going to score the top four or five guys in his lineup, are, I think are quite good. But after that, it drops off very quickly. So he has Gedman, which is kind of a super spec to catcher, but Gedman's not really developed. Right. He's a 14 and that that's not good. Domaso Garcia, he has a short and Foley, who I love at short or sorry, Foley's at short. Domaso Garcia is a second. But I mean, those guys like don't even add to 10. Right. So can you back up a second? And, and when you yeah. say he's a 14 or adds up to 10, just to give our listeners uh, what, what are you adding up there? What does that mean when he's a 14? Or- oh, OK, thanks. OK, so yeah. So so the big three categories, you know, contact power and eye for hitters. 
and stuff movement and and control for pitchers. So like for Gedman, for example, the 774 potential, a seven contact, seven power catcher, even with no eye, that is, I mean, that's amazing. Like he is like a top, top tier catching prospect, but his current ratings are 644. And that's just, you know, again, in the realm of like current production, a 644 catcher is not very good at all. So that's what I'm getting at there. I mean, the real story with this guy's team. So again, he's rebuilding, right? I mean, so who cares in a way, right? He's, he, he has the youngest team. He still has a good farm. He's the fifth rated farm, but you know, the farm, I don't know if he's getting credit for all of his prospects, right? Cause of a lot of his uh, young specs are already in the major. So, so he's clearly building for the future. I mean, we can talk about the finances or maybe Tim, you're better position to talk about the finances. The guy has, has like a really creative attempt to solve his or to, to structure his team to like address the cap long-term. So I think that's great. More power to him, but it is hard to tank year after year, after year, after year. And especially when, you know, next year is an expansion year. He's not going to get the number one pick, right? Part of the thing about hardcore tanking is you need the number one pick to make it work, or that's why you're doing it. So next year, the earliest he could pick is third. So it does sort of break down there. And then my other only other issue is because he's in the deep, deep in the tank, at some point he's going to need to address the pitching problem. His lineup, his future potential lineup is amazing, but he still does need to address pitching and he really doesn't have dominant for all the tanking. I don't know that he has a big shortstop or second base prospect. So the middle of the diamond is, is light as well. All right. So that's pretty much what I got. Oh, he obviously has the lowest payroll and the lowest cap. Uh, I had, I had the same analysis without any other numbers behind it, just by looking at the team pitching is bad. Lineup is good. You know, you've got, as Glenn said, some guys that you add up their contact power and eye and, you're probably below Boggs is just contact. So they're not ready to hit. Um, I thought his draft was interesting. I mean, I try to trade up to the number two to get Vance Like. I think he's a great pick, but he drafted Vance Like, uh, Gagne, and Nixon. And I'm looking at, you know, his team also and going, there's no pitching. Like, you know, it's nice to get middle of the diamond guy, you know, a shortstop and a center field, actually two center fielders he's drafted, but the dude has no pitching at some point. He's either got to trade for it or start drafting it. Um, you know, or some of these hitters are going to get outdated before he can rebuild. The the one interesting note on Pat Tabler, because I know a lot of old guys got drafted this, uh, older prospects got drafted this year that are not near their potential is he, his contact went up three points in one year, which I haven't seen before. So for some of the guys that drafted some of these 23, four, five-year-old prospects that are far from their potential, maybe there's hope to close that gap really fast. So the only comment I'll add on here is, so on the, on the finances side, I think the last three GMs we've had on were Eric Clemens, Sean Holloway, and then Joe Lima most recently. So Seattle, Detroit, and Montreal, and those are all kind of turnaround success stories. If there was a common thread, it was that they took a hard look at the finances and they addressed the financial situation first 
And that allowed them the flexibility in the cap space in later years, you know, two, three years down the road to put together successful teams. So I think if there's a silver lining to the fact that Washington has been basically in the cellar for three years, seventh, six or seventh for four years. Um, but I think if there's a silver lining, it's if you look at their expenses, they were 10th in the league in expenses in 1980, and then they were eighth, and then they were fourth last year, largely due to a single signing, the Joe Torrey contract. The fact that he's dropped from fourth to 14th in payroll is probably, to me, that's, if you're looking at the long-term health of this team or their long-term prospects, that's probably where you start. If you're losing games, don't also lose money. That's like the mantra that I always say. It's like, lose either games or money, don't lose both. So that's good. He, he is addressing the financial uh, aspect of it. Where will this team be in, I guess we're talking about 85. I think that's the year that he's aiming for all these, all these prospects to kind of like emerge and peak at the same time. But yeah, I'm, I'm with, I'm with, with Pete. There's not a lot of pitching there and maybe, maybe that will be the focus in the next couple of years. But yeah, at this point, if you're looking in recent years, they've been towards the bottom in both last year, they were 13th in runs and 14th in runs against. So, I mean, you're not going to, be able to improve both of those at the same time. So I kind of, on, on one level, kind of see what he's doing is, you know, try to score some more runs at first and then maybe address the pitching later on. The interesting thing is rebuilding a team and then the rebuilding also in the context of the ballpark that you're in where you play half your games. So he, so what's super interesting about Washington is he has the single most pitcher friendly park. It's the most it's the hardest to hit in and it's the hardest to hit home runs in. And yet his focus is entirely on offense and no pitching. And I partly, I get that. It's like, well, pitching, if I'm in a hardcore tank and I'm in a hardcore tank for like five seasons, then I have to sacrifice something. I have to be really bad at something. And he has just completely and utterly ignored pitching for like, well, again, for five seasons. So, but, but it's just interesting to me that, his like his one standout advantage versus every single team in the league is his ballpark and, and, and it's pitcher friendliness. And so, but he has not taken advantage of that, right? He's gone exactly the opposite way. Maybe there's an argument for that though, right? Maybe it's, uh, you know, if you're, if it's hard to hit home runs in, in, in the ballpark, then instead of getting hitting guys that hit the ball 380 feet, you get guys who hit it 420 feet. So maybe by adding that extra offense, that's his way of compensating for the ballpark. Yeah, it could be. And again, we're going to get this with Manhattan and we're going to get this with Atlanta. They've done the exact opposite. They have some extreme hitting parks and they're going pitching and defense. Right. So, so, um, so maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe it's the opposite, right? So maybe what, what Washington is doing and these other teams are doing is basically saying, Oh, well, who cares how bad my pitching is? The park is going to take care of it for me. Right. Like, you know, people's, uh, the opponent's offense is only going to be 80%, right? Like that's how extreme it is. So if I just have like a crushing offense, my pitching doesn't even need to really be that good. So maybe that's the rationale. I mean, I haven't talked to him, but that, I mean, that would make sense in a way. I can tell you, I've tried both. And my conclusion is neither works. You just have to be able to do everything. Because every year there's a Detroit, a Manhattan, a <laughs> Chicago, a somebody that does everything. So it, it doesn't seem to work to like try to only pitch or only field or only hit. I, at the end of the day, the top three, four teams in this league are always just stacked for everything. They, they do all of it. They pitch, they hit, they field. 
Glenn's been hammering this point of, of getting the team that pitched your ballpark. But if you look back at all of Glenn's teams, he's usually first in pitching and first in hitting. So it doesn't, doesn't take, matter. What, take, take what he says <laughs> with a grain of salt. All right. All right. You got me, Sheriff. So the number six team in our aggregate consensus rating, this team is a bit of a surprise because they are, have not traditionally been this low in the in the standings. In fact, they were our most recent dynasty, but they did finish sixth last year. So that's the Manhattan Gray Sox. Last year, they were 70 and 86. I think even Eric thought that they dipped even lower than, than he was expecting them to. Our rankings for them were as follows, fourth, fifth, 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 and sixth. Uh, so Glenn, tell us about the Manhattan Gray Sox. Dude, this is super, this is like really one of the most fascinating stories because as we just discussed, you know, Washington is in a pitcher's park and he's going all hitting. Well, here's Manhattan who is in, uh, you know, 110% home run park and he's going <laughs> pure gloves. His defense is some of the most incredible defense I've ever seen. He has 39 out of 40 up the middle. So let's say that again. That means 10, 10, 10, 9 up the middle. And he has 67 out of 80 total defense. So that is staggering. So he is going 100% for run prevention. And he could well succeed at that. I mean, his pitchers are also quite good. Let's see, relative to the rest of the league, I have them fourth, right, by pitcher rating. So little Paxton, Zachary, Bob Walk. So I tried to trade for Bob Walk, and I really like that guy. That's his fifth starter. He'd be the ace on my team. So he has really good depth. He doesn't have the greatest bullpen, but he did trade him, Willie Hernandez, and he drafted this guy, Hausman, who you know has excellent ratings, but he's not fully developed yet. So and his pitching is going to be excellent in part because it's pitching in front of, or it's uh, throwing in front of this incredible defense. But of course his offense isn't going to be that good. I mean, so he sacrificed that, for example, he's playing Cal Ripken as Sean. Well, Cal Ripken is a four, four, two adds to 10. So, uh, you know, his leadoff hitter is Scott Fletcher, who is really an excellent shortstop prospect, but he adds to 13. So, so he's not going to score a lot. And it's really just a matter of how many runs can he suppress. He has my all-time favorite center fielder, Elliot Maddox, who's a 10-10. But, you know, he's 12 in the OVP categories, which is pretty good, but he has no power. So so he's going to struggle to score, but that's obviously not what he's trying to do. He's just trying to compete on. You just, it's going to be super, super, super hard to score against him. So, that's why his, his ratings and his relative rank is, is really hard to figure out. And I think if you look at this list, Tim, you see that he basically people project him between four, 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 five, and six. So pretty much people have him in the bottom half. I put him fourth, actually. So I'm the guy that put him four just because his defense is so good and his pitching is so good. Um, I, I do recognize he's going to struggle with score, though. Oh, the other thing we should say, sorry, one other thing we should say, he has the number one farm system by a country mile and his draft, like really two years in a row has been incredible. He got a huge haul in the C-Rob trade. So his rebuild is, is fascinating because he is going, he's basically doing the exact opposite of what I did with Brooklyn, where 
I, I had all pitching, all pitching defense and contact, and I traded for hitting or for power. He basically had the C-Rob, you know, two walks and a dong. Like, you know, who cares if a guy can feel this position? We're just going to, like, stand at the plate. Again, the park is 110% homers. We're just going to stand the plate and jack, you know, taters over and over. But now all of his draft picks are guys who are like, you know, nine, four, six, right? (laughs) So like not zero power, but very little power in all contacts. So, um, well, I shouldn't say all of his guys. He does have uh, Sandberg. He has like arguably the single best prospect in the game in in Sandberg. And Dalton also is a six, seven, eight. So he does have some power in the system, but they're very far away. So I, I just think it's really interesting that he's going like, you know, again, he's basically going pure contact um, at, at so, so many positions. So it's going to be fascinating to watch him over time. Yeah, by so, the by the game's ratings, he has the top two prospects in, in the whole league, Ryan Samper and, and Darren Dalton. Yeah, so I, I didn't have him very high. I think I had him six, maybe. And last year I traded for his, his first rounder about the middle of the season. And I got sort of lucky, but for a while I was looking like I might even get the second or third pick with it. I ended up with the fourth pick. Um, his defense is crazy, I agree. I think his offense lacks power, and Castino's his best hitter maybe by far at this point. And with four power, five eye, I find those guys inconsistent. He's got eight contact. So, yeah, when he hits 340, everyone looks good. If he hits 290, maybe he doesn't look so hot. Um, the pitching, I think maybe the names are better than the ratings. So, I mean, if you look at the who Iron Mike's is at the top 20 pitchers, there's one Manhattan pitcher in there, which is Mark Little. His career high is 102 innings and I think eight wins or nine wins. I mean, he's not proven by any stretch. And then the other guys, Iron Mike doesn't rate, you know, as a top 20 pitcher. So I think he's got all solid, like number three guys. He probably has five number three guys, no number one, no number two. You know, also no number four or five. You know, like I said, I take any of those guys on my staff as a number three, but I'm not sure I'm as high on his pitching as Glenn is. I'll also add a comment here on Elliot Maddox. So, because obviously I had I've had that guy for a number of years, and I tried to I tried to extend him, but he was looking for something like four million a year, and I was looking at his numbers and like, okay, yeah, he had an amazing year last year, three hundred three, basically a career year. 303, 382 on base. But if you look at his career numbers, he was about 40 points over his career average last year. He was about 60 points over his career slugging. Uh, so 100 points over his career OPS. So I felt like this was an outlier year. I don't know if the game even factors in contract years, but this is a classic contract year, right? Like, okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. try extra hard and hit 303 this year. But if you look yeah. at the year, the, year, the year before, he hit 249. The year before that, he hit 174. He was 239, <laughs> 209. He's in the, he's, you know, in, in the 171, 227, I, I I just feel like he had kind of a fluke year and I loved his defense and he was a monster for me last season, but um, I kind of feel it was kind of a, 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 a Freisleben. He, he pulled a Freisleben. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you that. Well, I, I think the league in general is starting to get low on power hitters. So I think there's a lot of teams this year when I was reviewing that I'm looking at them like, and I'm like, there's tons of guys with seven or eight contact, which usually I would kill for, but then I'm looking at them, they have no power or eye. So they don't do anything else but hit for contact. And then you look at the draft and who went number one. 
you know, the one guy that can probably consistently hit for power, right? Mitch Strawberry. So, yeah, I think we're just maybe entering that era where speed and contact are not going to be as much of a premium as maybe they were 10, 15 years ago. And a guy with eight power is going to be the big deal in the lineup or even seven power, you know, maybe six contact, seven power becomes like the new good cleanup hitter. And a lot of the the bottom teams especially seem to be lacking that guy. So I, I don't know how they score outside of, you know, hitting three, three singles in an inning or, you know, through two singles and steal a couple bases. Like it's going to be tough to manufacture the runs, but Manhattan will definitely stop runs from coming in. I just don't know how they're going to score. All right. So uh, let's move on. Number five in the East uh, is Boston. Boston last year. They were fourth. They were tied for fourth. Yeah. Uh, 78 and 78. It's actually the first time they did not have a winning season since 1976. So they've been kind of on this since they won the World Series in 1980. They dropped from 96 to 82 wins and then to 78. So seemed to be kind of an older team, maybe a little bit going into decline. Um, our consensus pick was fifth. Um, the individual picks were third, fourth, fourth, sixth, and seventh. So basically anywhere from third to seventh. So Glenn, you want to talk to us about Boston? Yeah. So the reason why I think the reason why you see that huge spread from three to seven it is because like on the one hand, you could easily make the case for third. They have excellent top end pitching. You have figs and beard who's developed into a you know, absolute, <laughs> absolute stud Figueroa, obviously a Cy Young candidate every year. And, and he has suitor to close. So that's amazing from a staff point of view. From a lineup point of view, he has Bando, one of the best third basemen. He has Lescano, one of the best players in the league. So if you just look at like just the, the top end talent, it's, it, it's amazing. But the problem, the problem is all the rest of the things aren't that good. So so part of me was like, whoa, man, this guy, like he can really pitch. But then you, as soon as you get past those two, the rest of the starters don't look so good. The rest of the bullpen is a little bit sketchy. Um, and the rest of the lineup is also sketchy. So with respect to his total ratings, you know, his lineup is still in the top half and his pitchers are also in the top half. Again, totally powered by Figs, Beard, and, and the awesome closer. Those are like basically the main, um, I just look at, closer and setup guy with respect to the pen. So I'm not counting all the kind of mediocre guys in between there. So again, his absolute ratings seem pretty good, but defensively check this out. He has the worst spine defensively and he has the worst total defense. So, and this is a problem that sort of plagued me or was just, I guess I was willing to accept sort of bad defense, right. Or sacrifice defense a little bit for offense. But here we've completely sacrificed defense. I mean, he is by far the worst defensive team. And, and again, he doesn't, it's not like he has the number one pitchers or the number one position player. So, so I, that's the reason why I graded him down. He has a few superstars, but the totality is lacking. And the fact that the defense is really poor, that's going to really hurt the rest of the staff and indeed like figs and beard will struggle to reach their obvious potential. So again, it's, it's really interesting because he has incredible top end talent, but just everything else is subpar in my estimation. Half of his rotation is pitching in Denver this year. That's what I was going to say. The guy lost Russell, Blylevin and Porter. 
So he, he lost arguably his second best hitter, his two best pitchers. And I still picked him fourth. I mean, you know, I, I agree with Glenn. The top end talent is still there. I mean, he's, you know, Lascano may be the best hitter in the league. And he missed 120 games last year or something around there. He missed most of the season. So you basically, it's like you've signed, you know, one of the best players, but he's lost a lot of talent. He can finish anywhere from probably fourth to last. Figs hasn't been great the last few years and always hurt. Beard, we'll see. I don't know. Is he going to be the next goose? Like good ratings, but can't go from the pen to starting and consistently dominate? Or is he going to be more like John Martin, where he'll be you know, a pretty good starter coming in from the pen? It's hard to tell, but his ratings are off the charts. So I, I think that'll make a difference. I like the guy's draft. He picked a lot of good specs. They're older, so hopefully they'll get that Pat Tabler effect where they'll just... Uh, move their ratings up very quickly. If not, some of these guys will come in maybe at 26, maybe even 27. Um, but I like this draft and I like the Tim Tuffle pick, not only because he's a Met. I just thought like a good hitting second baseman, hard to find. No, so. that, that was definitely a swoop. He could have gone yep. about yep. eight, 10 picks earlier. Um, what do we think of the Oral Hershiser pick at number eight? If he's Pat Tabler, it's going to be amazing, right? Like <laughs> he comes in at 25 and he's basically fully developed amazing right otherwise he could have gone number one if you know if, if, if at 25 you can guarantee him in the lineup if he comes in at 26 27 i i mean i think it's still a solid pick but then it depends when his decline starts you know you have guys like durker that are pitching into their mid to late 30s so then hershizer is still worth it you have other guys that are at 32 33 they're they're sort of done and in which case, you know, do you want a guy from age 27 to 32, 30? You know, you got a Sandy Koufax, basically, which I don't know, maybe that's good. Um, but then it makes it more questionable if you don't get a, a decade-long superstar at that pick. Our consensus pick for the fourth place team in the East is the Brooklyn Superbas, a playoff team last year. The picks were third, third, fourth, fifth, and fifth. So pretty much right smack kind of centering on that middle point fourth place in the east so glenn tell us about uh brooklyn's ratings brooklyn is somewhat similar to boston where he has he has some really excellent top end talent both at starters and in the lineup and he and and like brooklyn he has an excellent closer in san Vito. so so um so but i i kind of feel like he's in that middle range and oh also like boston he uh, also, like Boston, he lost one of his best players. He he traded away Chet Lemon, who was like a three or four war gold glove center fielder. And I just don't think you can lose those guys without it having an effect. So therefore, I, I kind of put him in the middle of the pack here. With respect to the ratings, his pitching score is bottom half. He's he's ninth out of the 14 teams. And his position players are also bottom but they're not bottom by a little they're bottom by a lot he's tied for next to worst in position player scores and again that's partly because you take away guys like lemon and you're replacing them with you know rick peters who's like a seven one six so by my sort of metrics he doesn't rank very high and then back to tim's old line about who's the worst cleanup hitter in the league. I submit Steve Garvey is the worst cleanup hitter in the league. I found one worse. We'll get to it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I got, I'm for Garvey. Okay. Then I say Terry Whitfield's the worst number three hitter in the league. How about that? There you go. Give me something. So this is probably where the fact Glenn actually does analysis helps because 
a lot of mine is just the memory of every year I say Brooklyn isn't that good, and then they come in second or third. So this year I was like, all right, I'll pick them third. So I'm not wrong every single year. Um, but Glenn's analysis is correct. I mean, there's a couple of great top end guys. Sanderson still a stud. The one thing I'll add is I rated them a little higher just on the fact they've got three pitchers that in Burns, Tudor, and Gross that are all in the minors. They're all either like 20 or 21 rated that could come up at some point. Like they're not that far away. And that sort of upped my rating for them. And then Bruce Hurst is saying finally up and another guy that's either 20 or 21. So I was just thinking maybe mid-year if they're in the hunt, he could actually upgrade his starting pitching quite a bit. Um, but Glenn's probably correct on this one. I just got burned too often. So I said three. Brooklyn's coming in third. I don't think their offense is is all that bad. He's got uh, Tommy Herr at eight contact, batting second. Rick Peters is actually pretty solid, seven contact, six eye, but maybe uh, a little underdeveloped. You know, he's not reached his full potential yet. So, again, I think if Herr and Peters emerge and kind of have breakout years, this team will do fine. I do think the pitching has probably dropped off a bit. But the, remember, they were third in offense last year. So, and I, so I don't think they've dropped off that much to where they'll be in in the bottom half bottom of the order here bruce hurst essentially a rookie i mean he was not great last year mike headland is 35 years old led the league with 19 losses last year that's not good clancy i will say clancy was 10 and 1 um so he kind of overperformed last year but you know maybe that was his first year in brooklyn so maybe he's one of these hidden talents but I have uh, something about overperformers. Can I speak about overperformers yeah. for a second? Yeah. Steve Garvey, the guy I'm calling the worst cleanup hitter in the league, he, his ratings are 6.53. He's hitting fourth. His range are 6.53. Last year, he put up 9.20 OPS. With those yes. same ratings? <laughs> yes. Really? Wow. Yeah, okay. last year. Oh, All sorry. 6.54. He was a seven last year. Here it says 6.54. There's always one guy who's going to be the complete outlier of, of stats versus ratings, and maybe maybe Garvey's the guy. So that's the Brooklyn Superbus. So number three, probably the most intriguing ranking we have, because again, to this point, most of these teams' ratings have clustered. But our number three team in the East, their rankings were 22266. Let's talk about the Cleveland Barons. Well, before we do that, let's see where they were last year. They did improve last year. They they were 500 again. They've been kind of hovering around 500 for most of the last three, the last four years, I would say. Their pitching was quite improved. They kind of had an off year in 81. They were third in the league in pitching, but 12th, 12th in runs scored. So, Glenn, take it away with the Cleveland Barons. So I did put them second. So I feel like, so I'll give the ratings, but I'll also give my rationale. So, so, so Cleveland's pitching score isn't that good because even though he was third in runs allowed last year, and, and indeed, not only was he third in runs allowed last year, he was within 20 or maybe it's like 22 runs of, of being the best pitching team in the league, but his absolute ratings aren't that good. But the reason why that works is that he plays in a very pitching-friendly park and he puts out the best defense in the league. So he, he runs out 38 up the middle. And, you know, Again, we're talking out of 40, right? There's only four up the middle positions. He puts out a 38. And then when you consider all around the diamond, he has 69. That is the highest score in the league. And then this year I did 
uh, things a little bit different. I counted the lineup a little bit different. His absolute lineup score is quite low. I don't think that's a surprise. But but it's not as low as it has been in the past. He's made several trades that improved his lineup. And so now his score is eighth in position player terms. So you're talking about a guy who was third in the league and runs allowed last year within 22 or whatever of, of being the hardest team to score in the entire league. And now his ratings are eighth on offense. And not only that, but again, I did the count a little bit different. This year, I looked at OBP, power, and contact. He has the best contact team by a mile. Everybody in his lineup is essentially a seven contact and like nine or 10 avoid K. So I assume he's going to do that crazy hit and run thing that Lance has been doing in the past and had success with. So for that reason, I figured he could be second and runs allowed and maybe eight, nine, or 10 and runs scored. And then guess what? <laughs> Montreal last year won the World Series with a team that was second and runs allowed and 10th and runs scored. And, and what's more, I went back and looked at Charlie's historical team performance. 73-74, finished first and second. He was second and 11th in runs allowed and runs scored. So I feel like that he's right there again. And so it, it was a big shout to put him second. But on the other hand, I feel like that's not out of the question. And the last thing I'll say is the reason why I think it's different now with respect to last year is that he signed Mickey Rivers in the offseason. Well, Mickey is the second best defensive center field in the league, 10 range, seven arm. And last year, believe it or not, he fielded a team. I think, I don't think he had a positive uh, zone rating center fielder like on his roster last year. And he barely had positive war out of center field last year. So now you're putting one of the very best defensive center fielders in the game, who's probably also going to be like a three or maybe even a four war player. I mean, I really feel like that's potentially transformative. So that's my case for Cleveland and why I put them where I did. All right. Um, I'll make my case for why I put them six. So I won't talk about the defense. The defense is great. So no questions there. The lineup outside of Parrish, I think, lacks any real star power. So I, I don't know how they score. When you go up and down the lineup, most of the guys rank three or four, either power or I or sometimes both. Right. So contact is fine. They'll hit a bunch of singles. They can try doing the, you know, the Chicago thing. So far, I've only seen it work in Chicago. So I don't know how he does it, but it works. It worked there for a few years. I don't know if that's really a good formula. The pitching to me was questionable. So again, maybe their ratings are okay. But, you know, in the top five starters, the, the most wins any of those guys have ever had in their career is 13 by Kingman last year, which was his breakout year. 13. And these guys aren't like 23, 24 year olds. A bunch of these guys are veterans. These guys just don't win. So I, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me what their ratings are. I mean, Gossage to me is the perfect example of that. Gossage is great on paper, probably supposed to be a great pitcher in this league. I mean, I traded him after he lost 10 in the pen one year and his lifetime record is 61 and 79. He simply doesn't win. So I don't care what his ratings are frankly. And he's never pitched over 165 innings either. So that's your ace. Like this is not your typical guy gets 250 innings, wins 18 games every year, which Glenn, I think has shown the analysis on how critical it is for your top two, three guys to eat up about 700 innings. And then the rest doesn't matter that much. So I, I just think from Cleveland, you're going to see too much inconsistency from the starters and his pen isn't so good to overcome that. 
So it, it's, I think it over relies on defense and contact. You know, when, when Lance used to do that in Chicago, he had three or four top starters to go with it. And I don't think Cleveland has that. Obviously, Rivers is a great player, but he tends to play about 80 games a year. He's super injury prone, had him in Denver a couple <laughs> times. He's also, been tra- that, yeah. he's also been traded like 10 times because of the injury thing. So yeah, if Rivers stays healthy, that'll be great. He did add uh, Rance Mullinix and Rennie Stinnett. And the game has Stinnett is the fifth best second baseman and Mullinix is the sixth best third baseman. But I just don't, you know, this, that, there's no way Rennie Stinnett is the fifth best second baseman. I don't know. Well, I mean, because he's the only guy who has a 10. Yeah, okay. Then maybe it's a 10. Um, But to me, like, uh, if you look at this team, I think the quintessential Cleveland hitter is Dave Parker. If you look at his um, stats a couple of years ago, he hit 303, but his on base is only 335. So, yeah, he's going to have a lot of, he's going to have a lot of guys hitting close to 300. But if you look deeper, look at the I ratings, he's going to be dead last in walks. On balance, they'll probably finish somewhere between second and sixth. That's probably the most most likely scenario. <laughs> but I, I don't see how they overtake a team like Montreal, for example, which is a good segue because we're going to talk about Montreal next. Montreal obviously won the World Series last year. Uh, we just had the podcast with Joe. They did finish second overall in the league with 94 wins. And as we talked about with Joe, it was a largely pretty much the same lineup they've had for the last three years. So essentially the same team, they've gone from 13th in the league to second in the league in just a couple of years. So Glenn, what do the ratings tell us about Montreal? In my mind, I think of Montreal as being an exceptional defensive team, but this is where doing the ratings actually helps. And up the middle, they are still quite good, but so many teams fetishize defense now. As we just talked about Cleveland, we talked about Manhattan already. They're putting out you know 38 and 39 up the middle out of 40. Montreal's team defense is 11th. So part of me was like, well, Friesleben and these guys, like they benefited from this exceptional defense behind them. But in reality, the defense behind them isn't really exceptional, at least relative to the league. He's like just above the midpoint for pitchers and he's just above the midpoint for position players. And I think that's probably, you know, usually he's one of those teams that's pretty consistently good at both. Again, last year he was second in runs allowed and 10th in runs scored, but he was also the league's biggest Pythagorean outperformer. So that was another reason why I knocked him down and I, and I moved Charlie up because I feel like if you have a huge Pythagorean outperformance and it's hard to sort of justify where that comes from or that that could be sustained. He's slightly better than average on offense, defense, or and pitching starters, p- pitching position players, and he's below average on, on defense. So therefore, I knock him down a, a notch. So I have one answer for Pythagorean overperformance. It often is it comes down to bullpen. Dave Smith is closer. 1.7 ERA, 32 save. That, that Say could no be, more. <laughs> that, that could that could be it. That helps. Know? Yeah, I, I had him second again. I mean, I, I like their pitching a lot. I, I don't know when Ed Whitson got all these upgrades. I actually went back and looked them. I mean, he he yo-yos quite a bit in his ratings, like a lot. But his current ratings five eight nine, pretty freaking good. Um, but usually he's all he could also be a five seven eight. So he he goes between twenty and twenty two. But either way, he he seems like he could be the real deal. And he's the number five starter. I think the top four are good. Looks like Frizzy is in the pen, which I think he completely overperformed last year. In terms of the the lineup. I think the three through seven is pretty good. Uh, the one, two, a little questionable. And I mean, I think the, the Montreal fans need to have an outcry about Gary Templeton hitting leadoff. 
the guy has an on-base percentage below 300 for his career. He is not a leadoff hitter. Great player, great shortstop, but I don't know how you can hit him leadoff. He's almost an automatic out. So <laughs> I, I think I think he can upgrade his offense just by going bump Willis goes to number one and everybody move up one and Gary back of the line. Go go field some balls because that's what he does well. Yeah, I did. You know, it's funny. I, I just noticed that now. He's got Lonnie Smith. Lonnie Smith could be the leadoff man. So yeah, on 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 Freisleben, you obviously haven't heard the podcast with Joe yesterday, but he basically fully acknowledges that Freisleben was a complete fluke year last year. So that's why I asked him, like, how come you have a 20-game winner who won the ERA title and he's not even in your rotation? And he said, I don't believe in winning the lottery twice. So um, <laughs> so he's pulled him back into the bullpen. And actually, if he pitches even half as well as he did last year in a setup role, and you've got Freisleben ahead of Dave Smith, then you suddenly have maybe one of the best bullpens in the league. So we'll see. And also... The other thing is, you know, if Whitson doesn't pan out or there's an injury, he could bring Freisleben back up to the fifth role. And, you know, again, even if he does half as well as he did last year, he's going to be, you know, a solid number four starter. All right, so let's move on. The last team in the East was a unanimous pick, uh, the two-time defending East Division champions. They improved from 92 to 100 wins last year. Their offense improved by more than half a run to 5.4 runs per game. So, Glenn, let's uh, let's hear your, your thoughts on Detroit. Before I do that, I should one thing I forgot to mention on Montreal is that they are virtually the youngest. They're twelfth out of fourteen teams with respect to team age. So he won the World Series. I think last year was the youngest team. <laughs> so now he's twelfth. So maybe second makes sense. Okay, so with respect to Detroit, I mean. The guy's so good. It's it's disgusting. His starters are excellent. He doesn't have the very best starters. I have him with the second best. He doesn't have the very best position players. I have him with the second best. He doesn't have the very best up the middle defense. I have him with the third best. But I mean, he's essentially around the top in all three dimensions of the game. I mean, what what more do you want? He's just really good. And, you know, we, as we've discussed, I think in other contexts, he's doing it with a small payroll. His team is young. He's going to be in it for, for quite some time. If you add his total ratings, because he's strong in all dimensions, his total ratings are the highest. His total ratings with, with defense are the highest. I mean, I just don't. It's, it's, he's the current dynasty, or, or at least for this division, it's LA and Detroit. But, you know, he's the best team in the division by a country mile, and it's only going to get better. Trammell's going to continue to improve. Henderson's going to continue to improve. So so he did lose uh, Bill Parsons. That was the big loss from the rotation. So that's he's got Bruce Kyson and Alan Ripley at four and five. So is that an Achilles heel, maybe, the bottom of the rotation? It's not because I never even heard, honest to God, I never heard this Ripley guy. Guess what? He's a 21-rated starter. His fifth starter is a 21-rated <laughs> starter. No one else in the league, as far as I know has that. And then if you think, oh, well, maybe he doesn't have starter depth. Well, guess what? <laughs> Shirley, Shirley is a long reliever. He's a 21 rated starter too. His starters are, they're not the highest rated because LA starters are exceptionally high, but his starting depth, his quality and depth is just incredible. And therefore his bullpen is also sick. I mean, Tippy has been his closer forever. Well, guess what? Now he has Neil Allen, who's better than Tippy. So, no, this team, I don't see a weakness anywhere. I mean, it's just, it's absurd how good his team is. Again, in every dimension, that's really hard to do. But it goes back to what Pete said at the beginning, not to steal your thunder, bro, but I mean, you said at the beginning, oh, you have to be good in all dimensions. Well, Detroit is like the living embodiment of that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, they're, they're the best team. You don't need to even look at any of the, the ratings. You can scroll through the team and they're good everywhere, uh, as Glenn said. Um, I mean, in terms of Achilles heel, I don't know. There's not, not a lot of depth, I think, behind Trammell and Henderson. So maybe an injury like last year with Liscano takes the team a little bit back. And then in the playoffs, you can compete with them if you've got pitching, I think. I'm not sure you out hit them, but I think you can potentially outpitch them. So that, that may be their one Achilles heel. As, as you said, they don't have the top starters. They're just all good starters, which, you know, in the regular season could get you to 100 plus wins easily. And I think this team will be there and they'll be the best team in the league, probably even by far. But in the playoffs, people will have a hope. I think Montreal showed it last year. And then the year before that, I think if I remember right, that's about how I beat them too. Some low scoring games and here and there, beat them with a timely home run and that's it. Um, you know, if I had to play them 20 games to win the title, I'd never win it. And I don't think Montreal would have won it, beat them either. But you can beat them in a, in a seven game series with some great pitching and a couple timely home runs. Yeah, last year was an exceptional, their offense kind of fell off a cliff. If I remember, Detroit played Brooklyn, I think, and just like destroyed them, like scored like six runs a game, seven runs a game, something like that in that semifinal series. And then in the World Series, they only scored eight runs in five games. So yeah, if there is an Achilles heel, it's can they win in the playoffs? That's got to be frustrating to come first every year, dominate the league, and then crash out in the playoffs. We'll see. I mean, one of these years, their luck has got to change. Alles klar, Herr Kommissar.